Welcome to the Elam St. John's podcast. Our teaching today was given by Pastor Fred Penny as a part of the Spiritual Disciplines series. I want to show you what I've got in this little pouch here. Everybody know what this is, right? So the fact that it's in a pouch tells you something, right? Tells you that I paid a little bit of extra money for it. Because um, I got a ball here. You know what this is for, right? So I bought this because early on in the pandemic, Pastor Jason and I were playing a bit of table tennis down in the gym, and he was beating me all the time, okay? Because he had a really expensive racket, and what happened was... (laughs) I'm telling the story. (laughs) What happened was, see, his serve had a lot of spin on the serve and it was hard to return. And so I said to myself, I have to improve my serve, right? And one of the reasons, one of the ways I improve my serve is I get a better racket. And what happens is this surface here has kind of a stickiness to it. And when it hits the ball, you you can give the ball a lot of spin. And that makes it a little harder to return. And so today we're going to talk about improving your serve. Improving your serve. We're going to talk about spiritual disciplines. And one of those disciplines is service. So turn with me, please, in your Bible to John's Gospel, chapter 13. John's Gospel, chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I like that. The evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Peter, who said to him, Lord, (laughs) are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, no, said Peter, (laughs) you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, well, Peter, unless I wash your feet, 
You have no part with me. Then, Lord, Peter replied, not just my feet, (laughs) my hands, my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, You'll be blessed if you do them. Father, as we open your word today, there's a lot here for us to contemplate. It speaks deeply into the Christian walk of obedience, and the standard is set extremely high. And you call us to obedience. And so I pray today, Lord, that we would not take your word in a shallow way, that we would not daydream and we would not look at our phones, but we would listen and listen to the word of God today. For you want to speak to us. You want these moments to nurture us and teach us. And we would be wise to listen to your voice today. In Jesus' name, amen. The situation is is big. (laughs) The situation has layers to it because as the opening verse tells us, it's just before the Passover. And so that in itself adds a whole lot of meaning and substance to what's happening. Because in just a short time now, Jesus is going to be arrested. And he's going to be brought to trial. There's going to be a mockery of trial and justice. There's going to be false accusations made. And Jesus is going to be arrested. And they're going to put him on a tree. And they're going to nail spikes into his hands and his feet. And they're going to put a crown, but it's a a mockery crown. It's a crown of thorns on his head. And they're going to spit at him. And they're going to slap him in the face. And they're going to mock him and say, prophesy, who, who hit you? Jesus has already told his disciples that he's going to die. He's told them. 
I'm going to be arrested. <laughs> I'm going to be killed. And three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. They didn't believe him. They had no frame of reference for this. It's Passover, and Jesus is the Passover lamb. Exodus chapter 12, verse 13. The angel of judgment is coming on Egypt after over 400 years of enslavement. And now God is going to liberate his people. And so he tells them, Take a, take a lamb and slay that lamb and take the blood of that lamb and put it on the door frames of your houses. And when the angel of judgment comes across Egypt, when he sees the blood, he will pass over your house. That's where the word Passover comes from. When I see the blood... I will pass over you. And now in the new covenant, Jesus becomes the Passover lamb and it's his blood on our hearts that we take by faith that saves us from the wrath of God because we are sinners with no defense against a righteous God because as Romans says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so it's Passover and Jesus is going to be the Passover lamb. That's, that's not a coincidence. That's the way God has set it up. Passover, Passover lamb. And it says here now, Jesus knew that the hour had come. <laughs> he knew exactly what time it was. It's time for supper. This is the, this is the last supper, the famous scene. The devil and Judas kind of in the background a little bit. John tells us that the devil had already prompted Judas. But Jesus knew who he was. He says, John says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And he's going to leave and he's going to go to the Father. Jesus knows who he is. He knows his authority he knows his identity. He knows his destiny. He is secure. And there at the table, there are 12 sets of very dirty feet. And no one had taken on the assignment to wash. Sandals and dirt roads combined to make for dirty feet. And so it was custom, it was, it was etiquette, if you will, to uh, welcome someone with a basin and a towel and to wash away some of that dirt off those feet. What's it like when someone comes into your house? How do you welcome people? 
May I take your coat? Uh, would you like a, something to drink, some water, some tea? You know, we, we have that hospitality, don't we? We like to be kind and hospitable when people come to our home. Hospitality was missing on this occasion. The feet were still very, very dirty. And so Jesus decides that he will wash the feet of these 12 men with whom he has spent the last three years. John tells the story in a very deliberate manner. He took off his robe. He wrapped a towel around his waist. He poured water in a basin. You can see the the drama is heightening in the telling of the story. And it seems that nobody interrupted Jesus. (laughs) No one said, Lord, you know, you don't need to do that. I'll do it. Let me, let me wash the feet. It seems that nobody volunteered. Maybe they were speechless. Maybe they were embarrassed. And Jesus begins to wash and then dry and then wash. And one by one, he made his way around the table. I wonder if they remembered that woman who came and washed Jesus' feet and put that expensive perfume on his feet. They didn't seem to know what time it was. They didn't seem to know that this was the climax of Jesus' ministry. So he comes to Peter. Peter looks at him, I think, like with a bit of incredulity. <laughs> really? <laughs> Are you, you going to actually do this? Peter, you don't understand exactly what's happening here. Later, you'll understand. You see, now, now the story kind of morphs into just a sentimental, beautiful, touching moment. It now morphs over into a, a theologically heavy moment. Jesus is enacting this dramatic parable. There, there's, that, there's, there's a meaning layered on here. First of all, as I said, it's the Passover lamb. But if that Passover motif is not enough, now we have this personal ac- uh, application and Jesus and Peter have this little dialogue going on and he says, Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. We, we need to be washed, too. We need to be washed. You see, our problem isn't just a physical problem, is it? It's not enough, you know, to shower and put on some decent clothes and brush your teeth. There's more to it than that, right? It's more to serving the Lord than coming to church and with a, with a nice jacket on. Got my Ukrainian shirt on today you hadn't noticed. Our souls, our souls need washing. Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Have you 
Have you come to Jesus for washing? Have you said to Jesus, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner? Have you prayed a prayer? Have you invited Jesus into your heart and say, Lord, I need to be washed? Some of you might remember the classic hymn. Are you washed in the blood? In the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb. Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Kind of a strange question, isn't it? To be washed in blood? It's not very polite. It's not very modern. This is what Jesus says to us. Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. He comes to Judas. Now the dialogue with Judas is not recorded. But we know, we know he's there. He's mentioned. And we, we know that he didn't skip Judas. I think we can safely say that. Have you ever, literally, have you ever washed anyone's feet other than maybe, you know, your, your babies or your kids? You ever washed someone's feet? I guess the greater question is, have you ever washed the feet of someone who has betrayed you? <laughs> I, I find it so interesting, you know, as I, as I spend time in this passage, and it's a much-loved passage, I'm sure, for many of us. Are you ever curious as to why the Christian church has never really gotten into the habit of washing feet? I mean, it's a little bit... Not a little bit. It's very, very uncomfortable to even think of. We, we, we don't do this. <laughs> this is uncomfortable. Back in 1994, this is well before, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and some of the racial tension that we've seen in recent years, although the racial tension, of course, in the United States has a long, long history. I, I acknowledge that. But in 1994, the Pentecostal church in the United States had an association called the Pentecostal Fellowship of North America. But that fellowship was largely white Pentecostals. And the, the, the black Pentecostal church in the United States, they kind of had their own denomination and their own entity, and these two solitudes never really connected. And in 1994, they decided that this was wrong and needed to be fixed. And so they dissolved the Pentecostal Fellowship of North America. They dissolved the organization. 
And the very next day, they started a new organization called the Pentecostal um, and Charismatic Churches of North America. And they're at this meeting, and they're talking about racial reconciliation among Pentecostals in the United States. And in the midst of this gathering of pastors and leaders... Unscripted, (laughs) unplanned, a pastor stood up and he said, "Um, I feel like the Lord has asked me to do something. He said, I feel the Lord is asking me to wash the feet of the bishop of the church of God in Christ. And he said, I need to beg forgiveness for the sins of white Pentecostals against our black brothers and sisters. Washing feet can be powerful. And a wave of repentance and weeping moved across that congregation. It's become known as the Memphis Miracle. They were meeting in Memphis, Tennessee. It was known as the Memphis Miracle. Washing feet is uncomfortable. Washing feet is powerful. But according to Jesus, washing feet is really just the prelude to washing souls. Jesus wants to wash our souls. He wants to wash away our sins. You know, I think a lot of us might think, well, this, this is a great story here in John 13, and there was a dramatic moment at a dramatic time, a dramatic move. But I, I don't see it that way. In other words, I don't think this was the only time Jesus has washed feet for somebody. I think Jesus is always washing feet. For us mortals. And he went all the way to the cross to wash us. He went all the way to the cross. You know, when Jesus finished washing those feet, he sat down again. <laughs> he could have just kind of berated those disciples a little bit, you know, he could have said, I shouldn't have had to do that. (laughs) You should know better by now. Why didn't you do it? No, he didn't say any of that, did he? He didn't say it's not my job. He didn't say it's not my ministry. He said, like master, like servant. Now go and wash 
one another's feet. He said, I've set you an example. No servant is greater than his master. Now that you know this, do it, and you will be blessed. Washing feet will be a blessing to you, the one doing that washing. Can we take this to heart? Can we take it to heart as a church? Can Elam Tabernacle take this to heart? That's a good question. Because this, what I'm talking about today, it's going beyond kindness. You follow me? This goes beyond kindness. It goes beyond hospitality. This is becoming a servant. Here at the church, you know, we often use words like, well, uh, we, we have a need for some more volunteers in our church. We, we need some more volunteers. I think we, maybe we do ourselves a disservice when we use that language. I, I think we need to understand. <laughs> We're not volunteers. <laughs> We're servants. We're servants. Richard Foster, in his book, we've been referring to his book on, on occasion, on this study on spiritual disciplines. Richard Foster says, you know, there's a, there's a part of us, and this is, not gonna, this is gonna sound a little harsh maybe, but he says, there's a, there's a part of us that when we serve, we serve with a self-righteous way. Maybe without even realizing it. Here's what he says. He says, self-righteous service requires external rewards. It needs to know that people see and appreciate the effort. It seeks human applause with proper religious modesty, of course. True service rests contented in hiddenness. It does not fear the lights and blare of attention, but it does not seek it. Self-righteous service is highly concerned about results. It eagerly waits to see if the person served will reciprocate. It becomes bitter when the results fall below expectations. True service is free of the need to calculate results. It delights only in the service. It can serve enemies as freely as friends. That's a high standard. That's a high standard. We are called to wash feet. We are called to see souls washed. Now at this point, if you're like me, you probably are thinking what I'm thinking, and that is this. I can't meet that standard. <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> Who am I kidding? The bar is set too high. I can't reach it. Well, 
That's the honest truth, isn't it? And so where does that leave us? (laughs) That leaves us dependent on Christ. And that's where he wants us. He wants us to say, I can't do that. Lord, you're going to have to do it in me and through me because I can't do it myself. And that's the gospel. Right? That's the gospel. Christianity is not about, listen, you're such a good person, try harder, and you'll do amazing things. That's not the gospel. (laughs) The gospel is you can't do it in your own strength without the Lord's help. And so Paul says, I can do all things. No, he doesn't stop there. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's the gospel. I mean, right now, you know, when I, when I look at what's going on in Ukraine, when I think of, uh, talk to some friends I have there, the, the need is overwhelming, right? What do you do? And the challenge is, this is, this is going to require more than generosity. This is going to require sacrifice and service to help people. You know, a few weeks ago, I, I challenged you, invited you to, to take on a little DoorDash experiment. You know, go and buy a coffee for somebody and, and bring it over and drop off a coffee for somebody. It's just a way of showing a bit of hospitality and kindness, thoughtfulness. Some of you, I think, did that and, and you enjoyed it. And I, I would just want to say, keep doing that. Keep doing that. DoorDash. Hospitality, kindness. It goes beyond that, doesn't it? What we're talking about here goes far beyond that. It goes beyond spiritual gifts. You know, you can say, well, that's not my spiritual gift. I just don't do that. That's not my thing, you know. I don't think you can get away from it that quick. Invite Christ. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Richard Foster, and I'll conclude with this, and then Henry, Henry Flight is going to come and sing as we prepare for communion. Richard Foster says, when I am unable or unwilling to take up the towel, it means it's time to let the king wash my feet again. It's time once again to stop And let the king love me with his love, his self-emptying love. For to the degree that we humble ourselves before him and allow him to serve us, to that degree we will answer the glorious liberty of the kingdom of God. Spiritual disciplines, improving your serve, Washing feet is just the beginning. Jesus said, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them.
Let us pray. Thank you for the spiritual discipline of service, Lord. Thank you for washing our feet, for washing our souls by going to the cross. And now, Lord, you call us to an extravagant level of service in the name of Christ and in the strength of Christ and by the grace of Christ. Help us to be the kind of church, Lord, that serves and washes feet and tells people the good news of Jesus. And so, Lord, enable us, I pray, by your grace and by your spirit to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of it as well. In Jesus' name.